Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. It's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, January 2nd, 2022. What in the world? Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And I suppose we uh, should start with the reigning national champions because we got another impressive performance from Scott Drew's Baylor Bears this weekend. Nation's number one team traveled to Hilton Coliseum beat the previously undefeated Iowa State Cyclones 77-72. So Baylor is now 13-0, ranked number one in the AP poll, coaches poll, top 25-1, and one, the Hey 19, Ken Palm, and the net. Baylor also has the best strength of record in college basketball. Dead leg, what'd you make of Baylor's performance on Saturday that subsided Hilton Magic? I'm going to give you... Props right off the top here. Normally, I'm not. A, I'm, I truly am seldom aware of these kind of things as I'm watching the weekend play out after making our picks on Friday. But we did, we did go different ways on this game. And did you know? You might not have even noticed this, but this was a this was a narrow. You won. Iowa mm-hmm. State covered final basket of the game. Otherwise, uh, I I think it would have been maybe a push. I but whatever happened, Iowa State made the final shot that allowed you to to gain at least a game on me there. Were you aware of this or no? Yeah, well, the 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 number we used on Friday's podcast was the Kimpom number because we don't have access to an actual, you know, betting market line just yet. A little too early for that. So uh, at Kimpom, it was minus seven. And that's the number we used for our purposes at the final four and one. So it's a seven point game. Iowa State scores, makes it a five point game. That's a win for GP. I think in the betting markets, the game actually closed uh Baylor minus eight and a half so Iowa State was gonna cover that no matter what but for our purposes I needed the late bucket shouts to the Cyclones I don't know how we did this weekend I know that we we picked the uh the San Fran St. Mary's game which wound up not even getting played because St. Mary's is now on a pause like many other teams um so whatever so so it goes but you got the uh you got the the win there all right so Baylor we talked about it on HQ uh, 19 and three now in its last 22 games against ranked opponents, which again, again, that's an absurdity. Not just that, but shouts to David K. Baylor's SID who sent along a few notes. I mean, Baylor is 15 and three in league play over the last three seasons on the road. We're talking the Big 12, uh, number one or number two rated conference in the country in that span. Baylor's 15 and three, and I'm going to get to Iowa State in a, in a minute here too. But we got to lead on Baylor because it gets a good win on the road. Across the board, universally, Baylor, best team in college basketball, cannot be argued as we sit here and speak on the second day of 2022 as they remain one of three undefeated teams along with USC, which I think is technically now off pause, and Colorado State, which is either off pause today or it gets off pause tomorrow. Just three undefeateds left in the country there. Baylor's winning streak is now at 19. Of course, that's the longest in the nation because it won the national championship last year and has not lost yet uh, this season. Uh, James Akinjo, I thought was a highlight here. He had a couple of really, really smooth buckets. He had 17 points. That was the most in the game. He's now at five straight games with at least 14. He's been big. LJ Cryer, 
Frischilla was on the call for ESPN, and he had mentioned, I think the number he used was, I didn't I didn't uh, fact check him here, so I'm going to take him for his word for it. I think he said LJ Cryer scored 50 total points last season for Baylor and kind of just was waiting his turn. He was not getting a ton of minutes and kind of stuck through it on faith, uh, as many players in, uh, in Scott Drew's program do. And now it's paying off big time. I mean, he hadn't played the two previous games. He comes back. Uh, off COVID protocols and winds up being uh, an important guy. He scored 13 there. And then uh, Jeremy Soshan, who has been, uh, he is is a role player who is a vintage Baylor guy in that you'll see it's not going to have to be a Kinjo or Kendall Brown every single night or every day, John. They're going to, they got a lot of really, really good pieces. He had 12 points and um, he averaged, uh, he had 16 uh, the game before. So he averaged 14 for the week. So yeah, good games for Baylor all around and uh, an impressive, uh, impressive win for them. We can get to Iowa State in a second, but I don't I, I don't know if there's any more platitudes to put upon this team at this point. We were asked on HQ when we think Baylor's going to take its first loss. I said at West Virginia, which is January 18th, so I think that's four games from now. But I, if you told me Baylor got beyond that, I'd believe you. But I, I, I'm not thinking this team's going to do what last season's team did, and barring scheduling allowing for it and Baylor getting three or four more games and then, you know, can't get any more in because of uh, COVID postponements. But I think it'll probably take a loss in January, but I don't think it's coming this week. They are, they're looking dandy. According to Kim Palm, they're going to be favored in every game until they play at Kansas on February 5th. And that projected score at Kim Palm right now in that game is Kansas 78, Baylor 77. And that is the only regular season game Baylor is currently projected to be an underdog in, again, according to Ken Palm. So, um, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, just because you're favored in all these games doesn't mean you're going to win all these games. Like, any uh, person who understands math will tell you that. Um, they are not expected to go undefeated or even be a one-loss team. But they are going to be favored, at least as of this moment, they would be favored at West Virginia. They will be favored at Oklahoma. They will be favored at Alabama. They will be favored in every game in the month of January. And it just speaks to how well that, that team is operating right now. You mentioned LJ Cryer, 13 off the bench, now averaging a team high 13.5 points. You noted how, you know, they, they don't need one guy to go out and get it for them every night. And that's obviously true. Like Akinjo, I think is probably best equipped to go get 24, you know, 22, if you need somebody to go get 22, but he doesn't have to do that. Um, he's, you know, Baylor right now has seven players averaging between um, 13 and a half points and 8.6 points per game. And it's very Florida State-like. You know, they just got a bunch of guys who can go out and get 9, 10, 14, maybe 15, and and that that is every game so far this season, uh, that's been enough. You know, Kendall Brown d- didn't really give him a whole lot. Right. Uh, for people who don't follow it too closely, he's the five-star freshman projected lottery pick. He didn't really give him a lot offensively on Saturday at Iowa State. It, it just didn't matter. You know, Baylor opened, and I thought this was another impressive thing. Baylor opened for nothing, and then literally never trailed the entire game, led by eight at the half. And Iowa State never got closer than five points in the second half. Baylor shoots 50% in that game from the field. And that's against a Iowa State team that was top 10 in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm, heading into that game. Still is. And so they're just strong on both ends of the court. I mean, they're you know the top five in both offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency at Ken Palm. Only team in the country that checks that box. Um, 
just just really really good and you know i i i think most people including the betting markets had gonzaga to win the national championship in the preseason and i'll stick with that just because you know the the zags haven't really done anything they've just sort of been off the radar for a little while it feels like um you know they're on a COVID pause now but, you know, I, I still think at the end of the day, the Zags are going to be there. But if you were looking for an alternative pick to your preseason pick, if you're trying to switch it up a little bit, um, the proper place to go would probably be Baylor. In fact, a uh, little tease for later in the week, uh, the dribble handoff that we do at CBSSports.com weekly where, you know, we pose a question and then, um, you know, me, you, strong jaw. Uh, David Cobb will answer it uh, to the best of our ability. The question this week is who would be the coach of the year right now, national. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a lot of good um, candidates for that. And that's why I typically pick first in this. I don't even know if that's proper, but I just do. I just like somebody poses the question. And I say, yeah, that sounds good. I'll take so-and-so or I'll take this yeah. team. I'm sort of going to sit back and let somebody else go first this time. And then I'll pick whatever's left because there's plenty of good candidates. But if I were picking first, I'd probably pick Scott Drew. I think I'd still probably pick the coach that Scott Drew just beat in this game because TJ Altsenberger, what he's been able to do, I think I, he's, he's still there for me. Iowa State fared well in this game. Um, and how about this as we get to talking about the Cyclones? Uh, one more note on Baylor. It won in this game as the road team. So as we mentioned on the Friday podcast, uh, this was a rarity. We we don't often get teams uh, with 12-0 and or better records meeting period usually if, if one team gets to 12 and 0 think about how few teams get there in a given season uh if they're at that point the team that they're going to be playing usually has taken on at least one loss so this was the fourth time it happened in 40 years and now in every single one of these instances uh when it's been the two 12 and 0 teams kind of weirdly it's the road team that has won each of those games so uh, baylor gets out with a. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if we want to call it like a clear cut win. Like it was a five point victory. They were in control, whatever. It was a well-fought game by Iowa state. And I'll get to that in a second. So the first one of these was Carolina Duke. Actually, uh, Carolina was 17 and 0 Duke was 16 and 0 back in, uh, 1986. And this was a 95, 92 outcome that Duke won on the road at the Dean dome. Villanova did this on new year's Eve, uh, just a few years ago when it beat Creighton. I remember yeah. that. On, uh, surprisingly, shockingly, I remember that. Do you really? Why, why would you remember that? I wrote a column about Villanova, th- like heading into that game or right after that game, noting that they might have just had the best calendar year. Yeah, there we in go. In the history of college basketball. And uh, so that's right, because what I remember about us talking about that and that happening is then Villanova promptly lost its next game at Butler and Hinkle's been a bugaboo for Jay Wright over the past half decade, but no matter they, those teams were 12 and when they met uh, the Jays and the Wildcats and Villanova won that one by 10 points. And then the other one was Clemson and Wake Forest when Wake Forest won on the road at Clemson in 2009. That was the, that was the famous season when Clemson or the infamous season, I should say when Clemson started 16 and Oh, it's the best start for any team uh, or second best start for any team. They made the tournament that year. Clemson had a couple of seasons where they they started hot and then they completely fizzled. That Clemson team made the tournament as a seven seed and promptly lost in the first round. So weirdly enough, all four times the uh, the road team the road team won. Credit to Iowa State though. They they pr- there was a 
as we watched the college football playoff semis, or at least watched some of them, because those were a couple of games that were just absolute snoozes, unfortunately, uh, there was plenty of talk about how Cincinnati proved it belonged. It deserved to be there or whatever, uh, based on what it had done leading up to that point, not necessarily that game. For me, the Baylor-Iowa State game was more was – if Iowa State was going to lose, was it going to show itself well? And I actually thought it did overall. I'm not going to say it was a validating loss or anything like that. I just, listen, they, they got nothing out of Gabe Kalsher, who's been a top three player for the Cyclones this season. He had played 25 minutes, okay? Oh, going into that game, he was averaging, what, 12 and a half, 13, uh, 13 a night. He had no points. He had six turnovers. He fouled out in 25 minutes. He gave them nothing. And still, because uh, Tristan and Aruna had 23 Isaiah Brockington at 18. Tyrese Hunter had a solid enough game. Uh, not a great game. I thought the, the defense was good, GP. It forced Baylor into 19 turnovers. You can do that against Baylor. You're going to give yourself a shot. The problem was Baylor's also really, really good on the defensive end, and Iowa State had 17 turnovers itself. So uh, I'd be reassured if I was an Iowa State fan. If you watched that game from start to finish, you saw that Baylor was able to kind of keep you at arm's length. It, it, it clearly, like, that is a program kind of win. You, if as a Coach will talk to you about if you have a, a certain culture within your program and you get into a tough spot on the road, if there's a certain belief, if you practice well, if guys are truly connected, you'll be able to overcome kind of environments or opponents that uh, maybe a, a lesser team might not be able to do. And I thought that was a vintage kind of modern Baylor win, if you will, for Iowa State. You know, it didn't expect to be in this kind of spot in the game of the weekend on the first Saturday of, of January here. And it kept it close. And I, I do think that, not only is Iowa State obviously clearly carving its path to a comfortable NCAA tournament seat, uh, I'm not saying that Iowa State's destined to finish top three in the Big 12 or anything like that, but um, I thought it was just reassuring for Iowa State fans that they got a relatively good performance in this spot, and I've now landed at the place, and I was here before the Baylor game, but you know, one more piece of evidence certainly doesn't hurt. I've landed at the place where if Iowa state isn't consistently in the top 25 for the rest of the season, I'll actually be surprised not to say it can't happen. They might you know, dip out the first week of February or something like that Parish. but I, I'm expecting this team now to remain nationally relevant in the polls, comfortably seated somewhere between, you know, number three and number six. Once we get to selection Sunday, I, you know, wrote the lead of the top 25 and one on Sunday morning, sort of making, um, Broadly speaking, the point you just made, which is no coach wants to celebrate a loss. No coach feels good after a loss, or at least few coaches do. But if you're TJ Otzelberger, you got to come out of that feeling pretty good um, because this is a Baylor team that's not only the reigning national champion and the number one team in America. This is a Baylor team that has blown out Villanova and blown out Michigan State. That's two monster programs with Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame coaches and Baylor handled them no problem. Now, you're Iowa State, picked last in the Big 12, but you're off to this amazing start. You've got some good wins in there, but, you know, um, like I don't even want to try to discount it. There's good wins in there. I mean, they blew out Iowa, um, won at Creighton, um, blew out Memphis, uh, beat Xavier by double digits. There's good stuff in there, but you still want to see how, what you look like going toe to toe with the best. And you went toe to toe with the best on Saturday. You shot one of 14 from three. You got nothing from Kalisher and you were still in a single digit game. Like, I don't think Iowa state was ever going to win the game. Like you said, Baylor kept them at arm's length whole time. 
up by as many as 14, never let them get closer than five in the, you know, in the second half. I don't think Iowa State was ever going to win the game, but they were, they were, they hung around for 40 minutes. They played with energy for 40 minutes. And if I'm TJ, uh, I feel pretty good. Like I'm reassured. I've got a real basketball team here. Like this isn't, we got off to a hot start. We're about to fall apart. We're not falling apart. We're good. The problem is the schedule. And I guess this is just part of being in the Big 12, but we're going to learn a whole lot about Iowa State over the next two to three weeks because they are now in a six-game stretch where, according to Ken Palm, they are underdogs in every game. They were underdogs to Baylor. Again, it closed at like eight and a half. And then the next five games are against Texas Tech at home, where they are projected as an underdog, according to Ken Palm, at Oklahoma, underdog, at Kansas, underdog, Texas at home, underdog, at Texas Tech, underdog. So if these games go as the computers suggest they should, Iowa State's about to go from 12-0 and 0 to 12-6. and 6. I don't think there's any chance they're losing all these games. How many of them do you think they win? What's your answer? I think they either go three and two in the next five or two and three in the next five. Mm, I'll go three and two. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'll go some, some of them is like, you know, they're underdogs, but like it's very slight. You know, like they're projected as an underdog Wednesday against Texas Tech, but the final projected score is 63 62, one point. Um, at Oklahoma, it's a three point spread. Again, these numbers are from Ken Palm. Um, at Kansas, double digits. All right. Just. <laughs> Whatever that is, what it is, I, I, you know, maybe nobody wins at Allen Fieldhouse this year. Um, Texas at home, it's one, it's a one point spread, and Texas Tech on the road, that one gets a little, a little big. That's seven points underdog on the road, but you know, in in three of these games are projected as one possession games. I think they can. It's either three and two or two and three. That's a, and and it'll probably come down to who makes a shot, who misses a shot at the end of a Texas game or a Texas Tech game or something like that. Yeah, I think you're probably, uh, that's probably what's, where it's going to be here. Iowa State's a, a viable player in a very, very good league and, and had a, a nice showing and a loss there on Saturday. So Cyclones fans, you're, you're a year ahead of schedule minimally with this, uh, with this record. All right, GP, you want to take a tour around the weekend, see what else we want to hit on here? Yeah, there weren't many notable results from the weekend. Things mostly went as they were supposed to go, at least as it pertained to, to the ranked team, wasn't any sort of big shakeup at the top 25 and one on Sunday morning. There will not be one, I don't think, on, on Monday morning uh, as we're talking Ohio State's playing inside Pinnacle Bank right now. I noticed this uh, because I don't know what uh, Nebraska fans might might actually be able to back this up. It feels like for the past two, three years when we've done this podcast and we've figured out like what time we're going to record. This was pre YouTube, obviously when we were the first college basketball podcast ever to go to video, right. uh, never forget that. But it felt like, all right, we, we can probably start at this time because like the only thing that's happened is like Nebraska's playing at pinnacle. It feels like they're consistently playing on Sunday nights, like at eight Eastern or later. I, I could be wrong. I, it feels like this is like the 10th time this has happened. So we got that. And then Louisville, Georgia tech, as we, uh, as we talk here live, hello to YouTube, by the way, like the, like the video thumbs up if you haven't already, uh, that's going down, but that's not going to impact your, your top 25 and one. So yeah. I wouldn't think so. Uh, so we'll touch on uh, the handful of, other notable results from the weekend. We're going to do that next. But first, check this out. 
The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. So there weren't many notable results from the weekend, but there were some. I'm going to run through them real quick, and then we'll just bounce around. Villanova. One at Seton Hall, 73-67. Texas routed a shorthanded West Virginia team, 74-59. Miami beat Wake Forest, 92-84. Virginia won at Syracuse, 74-69. Memphis won at Wichita State, um, 82-64. Michigan State won at Northwestern. That was Sunday afternoon, 73-67. And here's one for you. Penn State Mm -hmm. upset Indiana. 6158. Any of that stuff interests you? Plenty does. Uh, complete honesty and transparency on this pod as always. Uh, barely caught. I was locked into uh, the Michigan State Northwestern game because Northwestern was up at the half, and, and credit Gabe Brown had a nice game for Michigan State. So, uh, devoted my time to that and the Bears. And then it was high time to uh, take the ornaments off the tree and get that thing the hell out of our house. So, we were doing a lot of Christmas cleanup in the second half of the Sunday afternoon, and I was not locked in on indiana penn state but hey good penn state hadn't played a game in three weeks right december 11th you know good good on psu for coming back and coming back into it and getting a good win there uh indiana fans you know probably just a little bit thrown by that uh by that result there but plenty of time uh of the ones you of the ones you mentioned um quick on nova you know seton hall only had eight players available um and two of them fouled out or three of them fouled out. Uh, a, just a good gutty win, I guess. It would, Nova won it with knack. I mean, it basically that that felt like uh, the kind of win where Nova's the better program, and it was at Seton Hall's gym, and they just they won a physical affair. Colin Gillespie at twenty one. Brandon Slater had seventeen and seven. Uh, he played really, really well. And then uh, Brian Antoine finally came back. It was he made a season debut, which I thought was it's, that's an important development for Villanova going down the road, but. Um, so good win for Nova to avoid having a fifth loss. I, frankly, if they had lost, maybe we'd leave the podcast with Nova really in a tight spot instead of uh, getting the win and kind of remaining steady. The other one, though, 
in the Big East I wanted to mention was was Creighton because the Blue Jays were not projected to be an NCAA tournament team. They lost a ton from last season's roster. And Duke transfer Alex O'Connell, he had 17. He hit a buzzer beater to send the game to a second overtime. Creighton wins at Marquette, keeps Marquette winless in the Big East. They win 75-69. Blue Jays are now 10-3. They're 2-0 in league play. It's the first time. This was actually somewhat surprising. Creighton hasn't been... 2-0 2-0 in the Big East since 13-14. I was going to trivia time it with you, but there's no shot he would have gotten it. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Um, so so credit to uh to Creighton because it it created even more separation. Marquette, which I think Marquette fans didn't expect anything too huge, but there were some nice gains in November, December. But now Golden Eagles are eight and six. We'll see what Shaka Smart can do in um kind of recalibrating that team. But uh but yeah, man, uh Ryan Kalkbrenner, 20 points. He's averaging 13 points, 7.2 rebounds almost three blocks a night. Uh, he's done really, really well. Last per, last person to uh, to have five straight games with at least nine rebounds, which which he's done, was a dude named Doug McDermott a decade ago. So, yeah, I, I just thought that was I thought that was a that was a good win. By the way, I got a fact and I do have a trivia time for you here. OK, let's go then. Fact, fact me and trivia time. This, this is nuts. Uh, so Creighton beats. Got to be careful when you say fact me. You get, you get, you get real slippery. I'm good with that. Fact me here. Um, Creighton won in double overtime on Saturday. The first double overtime game Creighton ever played also came against Marquette in 1930. The final score of Creighton Marquette in double overtime in 1930 was 19 to 17. Yeah, it was a, it was a defense. No, no three-point line. <laughs> yeah. two, two of the best defensive teams in America that year. <laughs> I have no idea. Davion Mitchell. Imagine watching a double overtime 19 to 17 game. And there were people that people probably took trains to watch that damn game. 19 and they probably was like <laughs> they didn't have podcasting, but I bet they damn sure wish they did. I'd love to hear uh <laughs> <laughs> you they wish they wish they had running water back then. <laughs> Much less podcasts. Oh, they would have they would have they would have settled for indoor plumbing. <laughs> Here's your trivia time. There are so Creighton won. At Marquette, it's Pfizer Forum. Uh, Creighton is undefeated in that building. It has four wins in that building. What is the only other visiting sports team to have at least four wins at Pfizer? Obviously, Marquette doesn't count, and the Milwaukee Bucks don't count because those are the those are the uh, tenants, if you will. Okay, just a sports team that's won four games at Pfizer Forum? There's only two teams that have ever won four games in that building, not named the Bucks or the Golden Eagles. One of them is Creighton. Who is the other? The Nets. Not a bad guess. Not the Nets. I'll give you a second guess, and people listening live in, in real time on the, on the YouTube chat, if you want to fire away. Uh, it is an NBA team. It's not the Nets. Okay, well, it's going to be an Eastern Conference team. Just it based is an on, Eastern Conference team. Right, so it's going to be – I mean, the obvious one feels like – like this, 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 this arena, like is this the one that's just changed names a million times? So we're strictly talking about Fiserv? We're talking about uh, – Or is Fiserv new? This is new. I, th- this, I think this, this joint's like five years old. Yeah, it's new. I never know if it's a new arena or if they just changed the name and upgraded it a little bit. Look at my man buying time right now. No, not about anything. Look, my little, my little hands are right here. I'm not cheating. Um, okay, Cavaliers. Incorrect. Okay, let me have one more guess then. One more guess. Recently good team. Recently good team. The Miami Heat. 
Incorrect. Okay, Atlanta Hawks. No, you want to keep going? Yes. Four. I'm going to name every Eastern Conference basketball. Let's see how many. Let's let's do this now. Keep naming every Eastern Conference NBA franchise until you finally get it. You're zero for four. Okay, so um, I said Brooklyn. Yes. I said Mill. Uh, well, I'm trying to think of good Eastern Conference teams. No the Bulls. The Bulls. No Bulls. No hints either. You're going until you get this. Okay, I got to pull up the NBA standings oh, here. Boy, here we go. This is this. Keep going. Yeah. Okay, it feels like it. Oh, it's the Sixers. It's not the Sixers. You're 0 for 6. Okay, then it's... Oh, it's the Raptors. It's the Raptors. Yes, of course it's the Raptors. Number 7 gets it for you. The Raptors have won more than four, or at least four times at uh, at Fiserv Forum. By the way, Creighton will play at Villanova, the two biggest teams we just talked about, on Wednesday, or at least uh, those teams are scheduled uh, to play there. Um, we don't have to harp too much on, on Memphis because we do that a lot. I get that. But they did win 82-64. Memphis, I thought, had its best game of the season. Held Wichita State to 0.83 points per possession. Um, Josh Minot, DeAndre Williams, Jalen Duran combined for like 43 points on what felt like 90% shooting, but it was closer to about 75%. I thought that was that was big. They didn't have Lomax in, uh, and Amani Bates has apparently uh, got a little bit of a, a finger issue there. So um, I, we don't have to we don't have to go too long on Memphis. Again, it's a seven and five team, but that was a bring out everything, all the stops, you got to win it, and they did get the win. Well, I mean, you were on with me um, Saturday before the Memphis-Wichita State game on uh, CBS Sports HQ, and one of the things I said was, you know, Memphis is going to be without Alex Lomax and Imani Bates. I think that might be a good thing. Um, like, I can show you the text message. I in a group text with some friends. Uh, I was like, Alex Lomax and Imani Bates are out. Max bet Memphis. They're going to win. They're going to blow them out now. Because it sounds like, oh, you're missing your, your best NBA prospect and your starting point guard. Oh, no. Except the starting point guard is not any good. I don't know why he plays so much. And Imani Bates is an interesting prospect. It's not a good college basketball player right now. You know, Memphis, when it pulled away from Alabama, it was because it was in part because Imani Bates got subbed out 15 minutes to go and, and never came back in the game. And it, I've been harping on this for weeks. Memphis is best when they play eight or nine players and when one of them is not Alex Lomax. When Memphis went on the NIT run last season, won that, looked great, played Houston tight two times, Alex Lomax was hurt. It's not surprising to me that the, literally the first game he's unavailable for Penny Hardaway to play, Memphis looks the most impressive version of itself it's looked all season. They've done so much damage to the resume. I don't know if they're going to be able to be in the at-large conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are like, what if they run the table? Where they're not going to run the table. They wouldn't be in the at-large. That's yeah. Not, if, not. if they're going to run the table, they wouldn't be seven and five. Like right. they're not going to, they're not going to run the table. I do think they're going to win a lot. And I do. And I say this as nicely as I can say it. I, like I'm not, I'm never trying to be mean, but the best thing that could happen at a basketball team is Alex Lomax being unavailable to play. And now that he's unavailable to play, they, they they might really take off. It wasn't, again, surprising to me. They looked awesome the second Penny Hardaway couldn't play Alex Lomax 32 minutes. Not wrong about that. By the way, the American, uh, that's a little bit twisted up right now. SMU beat UCF uh, on Sunday, and UCF was coming off, that, coming off that win against Michigan there. So uh, who the heck knows? I mean, Houston's 
getting ready to come off a pause. We got a lot of teams coming off pause, by the way. If you're trying to keep track at home, notable programs that are set to come off pauses or did this weekend or will today or tomorrow. Uh, Houston, USC, UCLA, Duke, Illinois, and UConn. I think those are the notable ones uh, that about covers Ohio State. You mentioned earlier they're they're off. Obviously, they played uh, on Sunday night there. So um, keep an eye on that. But yeah, the Americans. Uh, who the heck knows that, that that league could pretzel itself into a situation where it, it it might make it almost impossible to get three bids. But I'm not. I don't want to be too too premature with that. Um, I did want to mention that Miami. You mentioned it there. I want to just uh, just know Miami beat Wake Forest. It's now won seven in a row. Now we'll see. I don't. I don't know how good Miami is. The ACC is just a, God, another another league that's just a disaster in a lot of ways. Like Syracuse can't win at home against Virginia now. Uh, Miami beats Wake Forest, so now Wake's uh, a bit behind from where we thought it was headed. And now Miami's eleven and three. It's three and zero. Has the best record in the ACC. So an oh by the way for you there. Um, who knows? Maybe the Canes will wind up being NCAA tournament worthy. But the ACC did not do itself many favors there. And then only other one, like Paris nailed it at the top. This was, I think, what we had this weekend with the combination of games that got pushed back, uh, outright canceled, you name it. So we did not have as heavy of a slate. And there was nothing too too nuts. I mean, right now we got Louisville. I'm streaming, by the way. If anyone watches this on cable and live, I'm like a minute behind. But I got Louisville up one at Georgia Tech. Josh Pastner. Bringing back the face shield, by the way. Um, point I'm making here, no no noise, no big upsets. Providence whipped DePaul. They're 13-1. and one. Shouts to the Friars. That's a top 15 team, no doubt about it, as far as I'm concerned at this point. But they're just, I think this is going to be the quietest weekend we have the entire season. Or I mean, knock on wood, I hope it is. There just wasn't, there just wasn't a, a ton there. But, um, yeah, I mean, anything else kind of particular stand out to you? I thought it was... It was kind of it was kind of a letdown a little bit, GP. Like if I'm if I'll step back and go kind of big picture, the college football semis were brutal. Uh, you did have a couple of genuinely good like bowl games, like you know Rose Bowl. I no joke. I got up to like clean the kitchen whenever I come back. There had been three touchdowns. Like I missed I missed I missed that game going completely nuts on that. So there were a couple of good there, but like basketball was just kind of like eh, or whatever. And then NFL Sunday wasn't uh, wasn't that awesome overall. So I thought actually 2022 from a result standpoint kind of got off to a nondescript start. Yeah, like um, it was a boring college basketball weekend. I mean, that's the truth. There was not not a lot of interesting games. And then even the games that were interesting kind of went um, kind of went the way you would expect them to go. Um, I, I don't find, you know, the, the college football playoff semifinals were both awful. Yeah. And then the other bowl games, like I'll have them on as background, but I can't make myself care. I'm kind of of with you, but the New Year's six ones, like I'll get into, like I want to watch them because those are good teams and they're playing. Like it's, it's, I, I, but I generally, generally speaking, I hear you. Um, but I'm all, I'm, you're even a bigger college football fan than I am. Yeah, I I, I grew up in the Northeast, so I, I, I've always just kind of liked it. You know, like my dad went to Florida, I didn't go to a D one school, so I've never had like this huge emotional attachment to it. So I can get into like the New Year's six games, and obviously the CFP semis. Um. But otherwise, I don't know. It's it is. I'll tell you what. It is interesting about how the uh, the discussion in the sport over the past like three four years. Like every sport has its issues, basically, right? And college basketball has its own issues. College football has its own, and it feels like this players, you know, not playing in games, and then if they do play and they get hurt, like you saw what happened with Matt Corral uh, in the Ole Miss game. I mean, it's it's just not a it's it's not a good thing for college football, and we don't have to turn this into a college football podcast. There is the Cover 3 podcast. Shouts to those dudes. Did their live podcast on New Year's Eve up until the ball dropping. 
impressive stuff, boys. But it's not great for college football. That that can you imagine? And maybe it'll happen one day. But like the idea that like the number one guy on the number three seed is like, you know what? I'm just not going to play in the tournament. The, this, the structure of the postseasons are different that we probably should never get there. But I never say never. I, I, the, I, 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 but if you're a top 10 pick and you're like, you know what? I'm good. But the, the risk injury in basketball is not the same in football, obviously. Right. No, I, I think when you see players opt out of bowl games that are not playoff games, it's the equivalent of if somebody opted out of the NIT. Like if, yes. if, yeah, like if Zion Williamson and Duke were headed to the NIT and he just said, you know what? I'm good. That, that's what that is. I don't think you'll see people opt out of the NCAA tournament. I don't think you'll see people opt out of the college football playoff. If you're that close to, at least on the college football side, to the championship, right. and you decide you don't want to play then, then what were you even playing for to begin? What did you play last week for? Mm-hmm. Um, but I totally understand, and I tweeted this, and it gets, just like always, people will read words that you didn't tweet, um, draw conclusions that you didn't make. Um, I tweeted, because he got a lot of attention on Saturday, Kirk Herb Street, and um, well, he—I mean, say what you gotta say. Come on, dude! Like, how tone, how toned after that? Did that sound like I actually—I couldn't. I was actually surprised by hearing Herb Street say what he said because I thought he was more evolved in his thinking than how he came off. Yeah, I don't know. I—I I mean, I don't—I don't, I don't want to speak for why he thinks what he thinks or whatever, but it was, it was a ridiculous point of view um, that, you know, people should be playing for the love of the game. And these players these days don't care about, don't love football. Like, what are we talking about? Don't love football. Um, and then, and then like, you know, later that same day, there's Matt Corral, you know, projected first round pick laying on the ground, having to be helped off of the field. Now turns out, um, that, that the injury doesn't appear serious. Like if they almost had another football game in a few days, he wouldn't be able to play, but he'll be fine in time for all the things he needs to be fine with. That's my understanding. And so um, it wasn't as disastrous as it could have been, but it was a perfect moment to point this out. And this is what I pointed out. Old people should never tell. And, and by the way, when I say old people, I'm not yet yelling about, old, I'm old, I'm old people. Okay. Like I'm old people. Old people should not be telling young people, um, what to do as it pertains to this very specific thing, you know, telling them that they should play in these. I don't want to call them. I don't call them meaningless bowl games. I mean, I think they mostly are, but like they clearly mean something to somebody, you know, the the players who win these bowl games, they seem to enjoy themselves doing it and they like hold up the trophy and they celebrate. So I don't know that you can um, accurately call them meaningless, but they are postseason games that lead to nowhere, which is a weird thing. Like in baseball, if you're in the playoffs and you win, you're going to the next thing. And eventually, if you win the last thing, you're the champion. College football has postseason games that lead to nowhere. You just like, you win it. And it's like, all right, who do we play next? Oh, you're done. Just here's your trophy. Go home. You won the Chick-fil-A Bowl. Congratulations. And so coaches have been opting out of these for years. And by the way, players always follow coaches' leads. Once coaches made it clear, these games outside of the college football playoff aren't important enough for me to not leave my job, then who are you to tell the players that they should stay and play in these games? The coaches, you know, Brian Kelly didn't think it was that important to stay at Notre Dame and, and, and coach his football team in a, in a, you know, a, a, a reputable ball. So why should players at, at the same, you know, playing in the same type of balls feel differently? Mike Norvell, a few years ago, Memphis had the best season in the history of his football program, went to the Cotton Bowl. Mike Novell was like, peace out. I'm going to Florida State. And everybody understood. Nobody criticized. Nobody with a brain criticized him. But we're criticizing college football players 
for opting out of these postseason games that lead to nowhere? And of course, once I tweet that, people are like, um, well, it should be left up to Matt Corral. And he wanted to play. I never said he shouldn't play. I, I, I have no opinion on whether Matt Corral should or should not play. Matt Corral is a smart young man who understood the risk. If he wants to play while understanding the risk, play. It doesn't matter to me. I, don't, I got no skin in the game. But I, all I'm saying is if somebody like Matt Corral says, I don't want to play in this game, then you should be understanding of that, given what the player is theoretically risking, particularly if he's a projected first-round pick. And I see this sometimes like, well, what, what, what's going to happen when somebody opts out of the college football playoff? I just don't think that's going to happen. I, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong someday. I'm not happy to be wrong someday, but I might be wrong about that someday. But I I, did, I don't – I don't. Did one of the Boses do this with Ohio State? Yeah, but he opted out at the very it's beginning of the season. Crazy, right? Yeah, very beginning of the season. And look at him, by the way. He's awesome. <laughs> well, here's the thing. People are like, you know, but when you opt out, it hurts your draft stock. No, it doesn't. Are you out of your mind? Look at Jamar Chase. Look at what Jamar Chase did. Well, like Michael Parsons. Insane, right? If any, if anything, we really did turn this into a quickie college football podcast. <laughs> but if anything, these opt-outs are showing, like, if you're awesome and you opt out, it's like it a, does it matter. Like, proving your career prospects. It's dude, it's it's ridiculous. Like Jamar Chase looks like he's having one of like the five best rookie receiver seasons in history. Oh, and like wow. you know, don't forget James Wiseman opted out very early in his only season of college basketball yeah. was still the Second pick in the draft. The idea, I saw a lot of this nonsense on Twitter, including like from one of my neighbors who's a Ole Miss fan. He was like, if Mac, you know, Matt Corral playing, that proves to the general managers that he's blah, 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 blah. And if he would have opted out, it would have hurt him. No, it would not have. It would not have. They don't, the general managers don't care about that because they understand exactly why you're opting out if you opt out. Um, so these bowl games that aren't like the college football, like here's the we'll bottom line and move on. The college football playoff semifinals were boring. And those are the games that matter. And the other games, I just find my, I find it difficult to care. I just sort of have them on in the background. Although I will tell you, it was a sweet moment on last night, Sunday, uh, Saturday night. Um, my little guys will watch games with me. They'll watch Mets games with me. They'll watch Grizzlies games with me. You know, they love Mike Conley still. They, you know, they love John Morant. Um, you know, they like the Mets and all that stuff. They have never asked me to watch a game. They just, they will, they will join me if I'm watching a game, but they've never asked. And last night, probably around six 30, my, uh, my recently turned eight year old came to me and he said, dad, does the TV in the playroom, does it have ESPN? I said, well, sure. Yeah. He said, well, can you turn it on ESPN at seven 30? for the Ole Miss game, they're playing Baylor. I was like, what? He's never done this in his life. And the thing is, um, my little guys have made some friends here in the neighborhood whose, um, you know, parents are Ole Miss fans and Ole Miss grads. My wife's an Ole Miss grad. And they've become, they love Ole Miss now. They've turned into like little Ole Miss fans. They love Ole Miss. And so they were, and they watched the whole game. So we watched it together. And that was sweet. I didn't find, I wasn't that interested in the game. Yeah. But like, I had never had my one of my young boys say to me, "Dad, will you turn this game on for me? I we want to watch this game. We know who they're playing. We know Matt Corral. We want to watch this game." I had never had that before, so that was kind of like a little sweet moment. That is that is sweet. We wound up. Uh, we'll preview the next couple of days here, but real quick, I I had that on in the background. Wife and I did Matrix Resurrections. No spoilers. Don't worry. I'm not going to spoil. I assume you haven't gotten to this. It's on HBO Max. It's it's fine. 
I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting. Not, not what, great. What is it? What is it? The Matrix Resurrections. So oh, no, I can't get involved in that. Can't get involved. Have you ever watched The Matrix? I've watched it. Like, uh, you was know. That? Was that a question? <laughs> I've watched it, like, you know, a bazillion years ago. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't remember. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember, like, scenes, but I don't really remember anything about it. I would say, listen, you're going to be on a plane probably weekly uh, now going forward the rest of the season to and fro. We'll see. With New York. I know. We'll see. But original Matrix, that's worth it. That holds up still really good. The second and the third one, there are parts that are good. The third one's actually pretty bad. Second one, I think, is actually pretty st- still decent. But, um, so, but yeah, Ole Miss Baylor was on. I was like, oh, we can just kind of have this on in the background or whatever. And so we did Matrix Resurrections, and it was, uh, it was just okay. If anyone's listening has been like, eh, you have HBO Max, and you've been kind of sitting there for a week wondering if you should get to it, it's, it's fine, uh, but it's, it's not... Um, I wouldn't say it's it's all uh, all that great. Okay. Let me ask you this. Since we're on yes. TV, and then I promise we'll move on. Okay. Did you finish season nine of Curb? I did. Yes. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I you know, we are uh so you know, that this was the eleventh season, right? So we've had eleven seasons of Curb. I thought it was maybe okay, whatever whatever, the most recent season. Maybe I'm maybe or I thought it was the eleventh. Either way, so uh, I it would not rank in my top five seasons of Curb, but I don't think it's like at the very end either. Um, but it was. I guess my was, point is like you expect Larry David at some point. I mean, he's older, you know, you would yeah. expect it like, you know, it usually you're not as funny as you used to be. You're not as modern. It, it's still L- LOL funny it to me. It's, it's still terrific. Yes. It, it, like the writing is still, like everything about it is still funny to me. Like, I don't feel like you. We've all watched shows tell off. And you would think when the lead is as advanced in age as Larry is like, it might just start to naturally tell off for natural reason. I'm just saying that to me, it hasn't, it's still just, it still makes me laugh. And is just as creative as I remember it ever being the way they keep going back to Mary Ferguson. That's just so funny. The Mary Ferguson aspect that was just so funny to me. Yeah. I just, I thought the whole season was great. That, yeah, that was, that was a, I saw that, that plot thing coming from a mile away, but yes, that was uh that was great with him in the bowling shoes. <laughs> Just uh, ridiculous. Okay, up, upcoming hoops. We'll wrap with some hoops here. Um, and uh, so here's what you need to know. Monday, cu- a couple of good ones. May- and between us recording now here on Sunday night, by the way, Louisville beat Georgia Tech. That's actually a good win for Louisville. Maybe it's establishing itself as, a, as an NCAA tournament-worthy resume, at least at this stage. Uh, Josh Passner shouts the face mask. Wasn't a good luck charm in his first game back uh, recovering from COVID. Uh, Monday, Wisconsin-Purdue. 7 o'clock Eastern. Maryland, Iowa is 9 o'clock Eastern. That's a couple of good Big Ten games there. Um, Purdue, you know, it's the team that I still think is most likely to uh, be there with Gonzaga and Baylor. Obviously, of course, we've talked about that plenty. My preseason national championship pick there. Purdue is 19-6 and at home against ranked teams since the 14-15 season. A reminder, Wisconsin's quality, 10-2 and team, produced 12-1. and So that's the big game of Monday. But, you know, Maryland-Iowa as well, those are a couple of teams that I think are in a spot where you don't want to take a loss in this. Maryland on the road, it would be understandable. But Iowa, if you're going to, you know, be able to, to keep this up, um, winning at home against Maryland, I think, is, is pretty key. And then Tuesday, the biggest game between us talking now and when we're scheduled to talk again on Wednesday morning, reminder, 10 a.m., we will go live. At least that's the plan, schedule for YouTube. Uh, Kentucky will play LSU. These are all 7 o'clock games, by the way, as, as the schedule told me when I looked it up earlier today. Kentucky-LSU, that's the game. That's a really, really good one. 
Oklahoma Baylor, Michigan Rutgers. Rutgers got an, got another opportunity here at home. And then Illinois, Minnesota, that's a sneaky good one. But obviously the big one, the big one between now and Wednesday is Kentucky LSU. LSU coming off a loss and Kentucky looking, you know, terrific. So I'm eager to see the Wildcats in that spot. Again, just knock on wood. I hate that we're here, but we almost got to say it as we remind listeners, because there's plenty of people that get to this podcast 24 hours later. Like as we speak right now, (laughs) the plan is that Kentucky will play at LSU on Tuesday night. And the fact that it's a road game there for the Wildcats who are 11 and two, one, four straight. uh, I'm eager to see them in that spot. We ready to go. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, we are ready. Nada has said in the comments that the third matrix is better than the second matrix. There might be 15 people alive who have that, op- who have that opinion. Uh, but shouts to you, Nada. I mean, we can talk offline about that, but the third matrix is like, that's like saying the Godfather 3 is better than the second Godfather. That just opinion just doesn't, it just doesn't exist. So I don't know. I don't know what he's talking about there. But anyway, yeah, we can get out of here. Yeah, I can't speak to it. I'm not uh I'm not well versed in Matrix. Yeah. Hey, saw, this is, how how good does it feel to get out of here in well under an hour though? I feel like this is the right time for a pot. Like here's the truth. And I know that there's evidence that, I know there's evidence that suggests otherwise. Oh, but, but this is how we're gonna take it over an hour. Do not. <laughs> I know there's evidence that suggests otherwise. Like Joe Rogan does three hour podcasts and they do monster numbers. I will not I can't listen to a three hour podcast. I don't have that much time. No shot. I need I, for me as a listener. I want thirty-five minute podcast, thirty-five to forty-five minute podcast. That's all I need. So I'm thrilled that we're only like forty-seven minutes in right now. I would That's never good. listen to our one hour and twenty minute podcast. Well, you don't want to say that. I think those are actually very worth listening to because we tend to get into some uh, just ridiculous tangents. But I just get I, no. I just get intimidated by the number. Like every once in a while, you, I'll click on a like a, a an article to read. And I'll start scrolling down and I'll go, nope, I don't have time for this right now. This and then I never me, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's always yours. <laughs> it's, it's always it says, here's a new column from Matt Norlander. 21 minute read. I'm like, what? Or, or, what do you want from me? I if it... <laughs> 21 minute read. Oh man. Cut, cut 800 oh, words. Your podcast is three hours if you listen at two times speed. This is accurate, but I'm not a two timer. I'm a 1.5 timer. I can't, I, I, I listen to no podcast at single speed unless it's a music podcast and they're playing tunes. But um, yeah, we're, we're creeping up on 50 minutes, Parrish. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Ben Eccles. Legend. Shouts to Lauren. Now, thank you guys once again for listening to I Own College Basketball Podcast. In the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my entire lifetime. Woo! Did test negative. Test negative this morning. Love to hear it. Rapid test. So I'm I'm free to fly to New York on Monday. Let's just hope my flight doesn't get canceled because of this dumb pandemic. Also and then let's true. hope I don't test positive while I'm in New York because I don't want to have to isolate in New York City. The next time we talk, you're supposed to be in a hotel room. Accurate? Yeah, Wednesday morning I'll be in a hotel room. Love to hear it. Last thing on our way out, 2021 was officially our biggest year yet in terms of subscribers, downloads, all that stuff. I neglected to mention that on the final episode of 2021. So thank you to everyone for listening. If you found the show in 2021, well, thanks for sticking around. And be sure to tell 
Listen, if you got any friends that love college basketball, like college basketball, even just tolerate it, be sure to pass along word, download, again, YouTube, all that good stuff. We highly appreciate you. I'm going to shut up so Parrish can finish this podcast. Yeah, if you got any friends who are into dodo birds, send them our way. Like to have sex before marriage, send them our way. We're experts on all of these things, plus college basketball. Dodo birds, camel fighting, premarital sex, the Matrix, and college basketball. If you know anybody that's into any of those things, point them in our direction. Tell them to subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, leave nice reviews, five stars, write nice comments. And don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can do that very easily. You can get alert. They tell me you can get alerts. Right? (laughs) That's what they said. So please go do all of that. We're going to talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.